Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and welcome back to Victory Monday for the Burgundy Gold. A huge, huge win at the New England Patriots yesterday in Foxborough, 20-17. Another game to where it came down to the final moments of that football game to where, ultimately, Washington escaped New England with a victory. Their fourth of the year. They are now 4-5. and five. They are still 0-3 in the division. Again, New England is not in the NFC East. But a win is a flat-out win for a roster that came into this game without guys like Montez Sweat and Chase Young who are now elsewhere. Young guys getting opportunity on the defensive line. We saw a ton of Emmanuel Forbes yesterday who we will get into. Very happy with the first-round picks play on the perimeter yesterday. And again, another outstanding effort from this offense, orchestrated by Eric Bieniemy, who is now in a play-calling groove these last two to three weeks. He's just looked fantastic. And everything offensively is just motoring along. The offensive line, now, granted, New England got their fair share of sacks yesterday. They had three sacks total. Jawan Bentley had two, and Dietrich Wise had one. But if this was six, seven weeks in the past to where the early portions of this season to where Washington was allowing six, seven, eight sacks a freaking game, that three-sack total yesterday could very easily be five, six, or seven. But it wasn't. And we saw Sam Howell use his legs. We saw him get the ball out quickly. We saw him, when that back foot hit the damn turf, that ball was out. He was delivering with confidence. He was delivering with conviction and zip to all three levels. And the ball placement was absolutely beautiful. And every single week, all number 14 does is go out and impress. His day, 29 for 45, 325 yards, a touchdown, and the lone pick at the end of the first half, which we will get into. He was fantastic. He is the guy, not just for the present, but for the future in Washington. And if you are not sold yet, I cannot help you. The skill players are there to help him on the outside. The offensive line has finally shown an ability to not be a complete turnstile these last two weeks with the additions of Tyler Larson at center and Chris Paul at left guard. We've seen Alex Arma as that H-back, fullback type of role to where he's boosted both protection units, churning yards in the ground game as a lead blocker for Brian Robinson, or staying in to protect for Sam Howell. The new faces up front have been outstanding. Guys getting opportunities to play. Nick Gates is basically a bench player now for this team. And in my opinion, good. Because the, the play that he had in the first Two months of the season was flat out not good enough. 
Now, New England sent some stunts yesterday that weren't picked up clean every single time they were sent by the middle of this Washington front five. Again, left guard Chris Paul, center Tyler Larson, and right guard Sam Cosme. That was the interior, the nucleus for Washington's group yesterday. The same tackles on the outside with Leno at left tackle and Andrew Wiley on the right side. But overall, they just gave Sam Howell enough time, not asking them to be a top five unit in football, or be a group that is able to displace defenders three, four yards off the ball in the run game. But just be a suitable enough offensive line to give Sam just a little bit of time to read through more than one progression on the perimeter before his eyes have to go down and escape pressure and then get his eyes back up to see what's happening in front of him and play Sandlot ball. We saw a little bit yesterday where Sam is able to escape outside of pressure and keep his eyes up. I will get into some of the play calls I did not like, especially near the goal line that Washington continues to run a certain concept. A lot of teams run it. I flat out hate it. I'll get into that in a little bit. But overall, this was a huge win for the Washington Commanders. Four and five now with a massive matchup against an NFC opponent, battling for a wild card spot as well, and the Seattle Seahawks that got their asses whooped yesterday, 37 to three by the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. 37 to three. Guys, where the Ravens almost rushed for, I believe, nearly 300 yards on the ground. Lamar Jackson, UDFA from East Carolina, Keaton Mitchell went off for over 100 yards. Baltimore looks like they have the best defense in all of football at all three levels. It is ridiculous. Second-year defensive coordinator Mike McDonald has done a hell of a job in Baltimore. But Seattle's going to come to play next week at home, back, right, right in their familiar atmosphere, in their familiar environment, out in Seattle. It's going to be a tough one to go across the country and win next week. Huge game in the NFC wildcard picture now as we move in to double digits. Week 10, guys. We are moving into week 10. Now, the preview of the Seattle Seahawks will come out this Friday. But from what I saw in this roster yesterday, again, new faces and new places with new snap counts. I love to see it. Looking at the snap counts on the defensive side of the ball. Percy Butler, Jamin Davis, Cam Curl, Kendall Fuller, and Benjamin St. Juice played all 64 of the defensive snaps. I will get into my thoughts on Jamin Davis as well, who had a rough game yesterday, in my opinion. Manuel Forbes, 48 snaps, 75% of the defensive snaps. Quan Martin, only 15 snaps. Still, just 23% of the defensive snaps. Made a hell of a play at the end of the game, which we'll get to in a little bit. Hell of a play at the end of the game for his first NFL interception at a perfect time. But still, only 15 snaps for Quan Martin. Casey Tuhill played 66 defensive snap, 66% of the defensive snaps, excuse me. And James Smith Williams played 69% of the defensive snaps. So that is your headlining edge tandem. That overall yesterday, there was not pressure. Washington did not record a sack on Mac Jones yesterday with the mishmash of bodies that New England had along their front five. Now, K.J. Henry played just nine snaps, the least of any defensive player that earned more than five snaps. He only had nine. But early in that second half, he had a sack that was called roughing the passer. 
It is one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've seen in a long, long time. This is football. How are you supposed to tackle a quarterback? Are you supposed to lay his head down on the pillow and just give him his little blanket and let him sit there? Because later in that game, Washington hit Mac Jones multiple times taking him to the ground and there were no flags. KJ Henry beats his man off the edge, just regularly tackles Mac Jones, brings him to the ground. There was nothing vicious or malicious about the tackle. Didn't lead with the crown of his helmet. Didn't stick his crown of his helmet into the the small of Mac Jones' back. Didn't lead with his head up top. Nothing. Didn't pile drive him into the ground. Didn't put all of his body weight onto him. And they still call roughing the passer. And it's a complete joke. And it was really good to see KJ Henry on the football field. He was active for one game before this week. And comes in that second half and makes a hell of a play. So for me, I got one sack for KJ Henry on the board. It's not going to show it anywhere, but I got one sack for KJ Henry. Rookie out of Clemson that we finally saw on the football field and made a play. Had a sack and nine defensive snaps. Maybe gets more moving forward. But hell of a play for him. But that roughing the passer call and the roughing the passer calls that we continuously see in college football and specifically the NFL is flat out ridiculous. The officiating as a whole in the NFL this year has been a joke. A joke. Guys cannot play football anymore. It is Charmin soft. It is flag. Might as well just have guys with flags out there. It's ridiculous. This is a violent game. This is the only game where you can have the type of violence that you see in the football field every single game. Hockey's pretty violent. You guys like hockey? Only game you can really fight guys on the ice? Don't see that in football. You get kicked out for that. But the collisions that we see in football is what draws the attention. Guys cracking pads. It pumps you up. And if you can't bring down a quarterback on a regular sack, a textbook tackle that you teach when you're seven years old, what are we doing? So from in that standpoint, that was extremely frustrating. However, there were a lot of positives for the burgundy and gold yesterday. And with Sam Howell under center leading this offense, so in that second quarter, they were up 10-0. They get on the board first with a Joey Sly field goal, then a Brian Robinson touchdown, which was beautiful, nine-yard run inside the red area, so taking advantage of opportunities. It was gorgeous. Now, the Jahan Dotson first drive, third and two drop. I want to provide some context here on that play. All you saw on social media was, why did he drop that pass? Should have caught that ball. Okay, I agree. Should have caught the ball. But what Dehan Dotson should have done there is sit his route over the middle of the field. He ran his route into the coverage on the far side of the field. If he sits that route right in front of Sam Howell's eyes in the middle of the field, as he should have, instead of extending his route into coverage... Watch the play again. He runs into the area where that defender is. To where seven or eight yards before there across the middle of the field, all he has to do is just sit his route. Think of Jason Witten with the Dallas Cowboys over the years. Sitting in zone coverages. Finding the soft spot. Turning and presenting your hands. That's all Jahan Dotson had to do on that play. I understand 
that the route is calling him to occupy a variety of zones over the middle of the field to where he thought that he'd be open there and that defender would be getting more depth and that under route would be there. But he's a veteran enough receiver as far as a route runner. He's an elite route runner. An understanding of defensive concepts, where I've seen it before, saw it at Penn State, saw it in his year one, to where he can just sit that route over the middle of the field, which would have been most likely an easy first down. But instead, he runs into the coverage and he drops the pass, where it looked like he didn't want to take a hit. That was a negative from Jahan Dotson's perspective. Now, as a whole, eight targets, caught four of them, 69 yards, and obviously that beautiful touchdown in that second half. Terry McLaurin led the team in catches, had five for 73, did not get in the end zone, and had seven targets. So again, Terry and Jahan combined for 15 targets. I'll take that every single day of the week. There was no Curtis Samuel this week. Byron Pringle, Jamison Crowder, Deami Brown. There was a nice rotation on the outside. Byron Pringle had four targets, three catches, 55 yards. Deami Brown, four targets, two catches, 33 yards. And Jamison Crowder, six targets, four catches, for 23 yards. And he's also still done a hell of a job as a punt returner to where every single time he gets the ball, he's at least getting 10 yards, 10 plus yards. That is the number that scouts and personnel look for as a punt returner. Really that 11 plus yard mark. If you can total 11 plus yards per punt return, you're going to have, you're going to have, you just spent a long time in the NFL. And Jamison Crowder, his ability to come in as that weapon X for this offense, a threat over every single level, and then return punts to where when he gets the ball in his hands, I don't know about you guys, but I think he could take it the distance on every play. At least get us an extra 15-20 every single time he touches the ball. He has been their best acquisition this year. Really, you could say all year, not just mid-season acquisition that he's been, all year. That means the draft and free agency. You guys tell me who's been the best addition from, this, from the roster in 2022 to 2023. And he wasn't even here in the summer. Jamison Crowder's been fantastic. In the last month of the season, he's been excellent. Who knew, right? That would be our old friend. Washington's former pick out of Duke years ago. He's got a little, little more wear and tear in the tires. Maybe a couple more gray hairs than we saw him in years past. But he's been flat out excellent. And a tip of the cap to Jamison Crowder because he's got sure hands. Hard to believe that he's going to muff a punt. Knock on wood. But he can flip the field for you in a moment's notice. And then if you need him to play a heavy amount of snaps at that wide receiver three, wide receiver four spot, he can. And I love to see it. And then you see a guy like Byron Pringle that pops up once every three or four weeks and makes big plays. Again, three catches for 55 yards. That 26-yard completion was gorgeous. There were a couple deep plays, one to Terry, one to Jahan, that I thought could be completed in that ball game. It, they weren't. Right? Their history that didn't happen. We could talk about the Jalen Rager dropped pass that looked like a clean touchdown. Things here and there that happened yesterday that could have swayed that ball game to either side even more. In 2017, you're going to have games like that. I don't know if you guys know this, but last time Washington beat New England, it was 20 to 17, nearly 20 years ago, which is crazy. What a coincidence, huh? 20 to 17, 20 years ago they won, and then flash, fast forward 20 years, and they beat them again in 2017. 
in New England. Pretty cool. Jamin Davis, the one-on-one against Ramondre Stevenson on third and nine. He's got to run. He's got to run. Jamin Davis was drafted to be a cover linebacker. Three down linebacker to clog gaps in the run, TFLs in the fringes, and cover running backs and tight ends. He can't. Ramondre Stevenson by no means is going to be a, is a burner. He is not your Raheem Mosterts. He's not a Devon A. Chain. He's not an Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard. None of those guys. And Jamin Davis flat out is three to four yards behind Ramondre Stevenson on that play early in that football game. Third and nine, guys. Simple little arrow route out of the backfield, and Jamin wasn't close. He's got to improve his coverage. I don't know what to do with number 52 over the middle of the field. Because again, we're seeing a lot of David Mayo. We saw some Khalid Hudson yesterday. Washington doesn't want to play with a lot of linebackers on the field. But if you're consistently putting him in one-on-one scenarios to cover running backs, and he can't, you're going to have issues. Linebackers that can cover, truly cover, be sticky in man, is just the day and age now, 2023. You got to be able to cover over the middle of the field. And I'm not seeing it right now, especially these last few weeks from Jamin. And yesterday was ugly in coverage for him, no matter who he's covering. Hunter Henry, Ramondre Stevenson, Ezekiel Elliott, it, did, it fly out, did not matter. The third and five on the next drive, excuse me, that same drive, that next um, series of plays on Emmanuel Forbes, covering Tyquan Thornton, who has legit 4-2 speed working over the middle of the field. Beautiful. I loved what I saw from Washington's first round selection out of Mississippi State yesterday. It was the best game by far of Emmanuel Forbes. Now, comparatively to what we've seen the last month of the year, it's not much, right? And it's taken nine weeks for Emmanuel to show up. But whatever he did during the week, whatever he ate, whatever his training regimen was, whatever he was doing in the classroom and in practice, and his preparation into New England, do it again. Because next week against DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be another hell of a test. And this Washington is going to be tested again. Because this New England offense was one of the lowest scoring teams in the NFL heading into that game. And then again, they only scored 17 points. I'm going to give my credit to Washington's defense. But of course, there were times in that ballgame to where New England shot themselves in the foot. Multiple times where they could have had more points on the board. But it shoulda, woulda, coulda. And they didn't execute. Bottom line. But Emmanuel's length, stickiness in coverage, trusted his eyes. He looked disciplined on the outside. He was making plays in the fringe areas of the offense. One-on-one tackle in, open, in the open field. I loved it. It's what we expected him to be as a first-round selection. Now, it's about building can't be drastically below average for eight weeks, come into week nine and be excellent, and then go into next week to where you're facing a similarly type of build, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, a three-level threat in Tyler Lockett, one of the elite route runners among rookies in football in Jackson Smith and Jigba that's going to live in the intermediate areas. It's going to be a tough test for him next week. Now, There was some safety help over the top with Cam Curl and Percy Butler yesterday for him, which I love to see. They allowed him to work in zone a bunch. You saw him was third and five, third and six. He was playing about 10 yards off because he can click and close the extreme acceleration, and he's got long arms to play through the hands of receivers. 
That's where he's best. That's what he did at Mississippi State. Not saying he can't play man because we saw it yesterday. But from the just flat out improvements that he showed throughout the game. Couple PBUs. Again, tackle in open space. There were no crazy splash plays, no interceptions. He wasn't sent on any blitzes. Strip sack. It wasn't anything crazy like that. The Quan Martin splash play. Didn't have anything around those lines. But the PBUs on third down, I'll take that every single day of the week. And the biggest thing for me is that he didn't get flags on those plays because he was physical on those PBUs. No flags. Technically sound on the perimeter. Now it's about building off of this performance. This is arguably the worst receiver core, receiving core, excuse me, that Washington is going to face this year. Mario Douglas, seven targets. Juju Smith-Schuster, seven targets. Ramondre Stevenson had six. Hunter Henry had seven. Ezekiel Elliott had five. Jalen Rager had six. He only caught one for 11 yards. That's a mishmash of names that won't sway the needle for anybody. I mentioned Pop Douglas in the pregame podcast. He had a nice day. He had a nice day. I'm glad that Ron Rivera finally pulled the challenge flag out of his pocket and used it on his catch. His quote-unquote catch that was not a catch. In that second half where it was big. In the fourth quarter. Huge. Now, we wish we had that last week in the fourth and four to Devonta Smith. But again, that's in the past and that will not change. But Emmanuel Forbes yesterday, outstanding. Can't say enough good things. Now, it's about continuing to build. Brian Robinson, touchdown, beautiful, nine yards. Mentioned the guys up front, Chris Paul, Tyler Larson, Alex Armour blocking their tails off. They had a similar run last week that gained 25 yards against the Eagles, some inside zone, Chris Paul pulling from left guard spot, sealing the second level defender, John Bates one-on-one against Hassan Reddick, and Brian Robinson scoots up to the second level. Beautiful. We saw some of that on that run in the first half. Beautiful. Beautiful execution. Hat on a hat, winning with leverage, getting their hands inside, relocating the defensive line up front that has some talent, they're veteran guys, and getting in the end zone, where he was really untouched. Beautiful to see. Now, the Brian Robinson fumble inside the shadow shadow of his own goal line. Cannot happen. Beautiful punch out by Jelani Tavai on that play. You cannot teach that any better than how the Patriots linebacker punched that ball out. Now, Brian Robinson didn't see him. That's I get it. But he's still got to hold the ball. Got to hold the ball. That was his first lost fumble in his career. And when that happened, I wouldn't even look. I looked back to his stats at Alabama to see how many fumbles he had at Alabama. And I can't remember one that he lost. So that might have been, don't quote me on this, but that might have been one of the first lost fumbles that Brian Robinson had really since high school. Not, not joking. He's fumbled before, but a lost fumble. One of the first in in years for Brian Robinson Jr. It speaks to his ability in ball security, and I promise you it will not happen again. But a hell of a punch out and a hell of a play by Jelani Tavai to within two plays later, they score on that throw to Hunter Henry. Where quickly, you're up 10-0 and trying to drive and score again. And again, it's 10-7. 
So that was a moment in time to where you're like, well, commanders are shooting themselves in the foot again. They're not getting beat. They're beating themselves. And that's what it was. Because then, after that fumble, they score. Then they come back. And it's Ramondre Stevenson's 64-yard touchdown run. So quickly, in a span of three minutes, they score. And three minutes later, Ramondre Stevenson has that long touchdown run. Now, some context on that run. Washington sent a cross-dog blitz from the second level, a run blitz, to counter what New England was doing up front. David Mayo, it's what, a cross-dog blitz, guys, is when the linebackers cross each other into different gaps. Primarily, you focus on the B gaps to try to keep everything as much as you can inside. David Mayo looped over to the left guard and got there. Jamin Davis did not loop quick enough. He looped, but it wasn't quick enough to get to that vacant alley to where schematically, Jack Del Rio, that would have worked if Jamin Davis filled his gap correctly with the correct tempo, but he didn't. And that led to a 64-yard run because you saw Percy Butler try to chase him, but he's playing middle of the field uh, safety on the deep third, on the far third. There's no shot that Percy Butler gets over on that play. Unless Percy Butler runs a freaking 3-8, there's just no way he's catching him. Unless he's Daryl Green or Usain Bolt, he's not catching him on that play. So it looked like if you look at Percy Butler, you're like, well, where's the angle there? Where, where's she coming from? That cross dog up front, because again, Washington still had to counter the passing game. But if Jamin Davis just fills his alley quick enough, it doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be free in that alley. He could have still taken on the guard. But that's when you ask him as a linebacker to deconstruct the block inside or outside and make a play in the open field. But that was, he went untouched for 64 yards. And that cannot happen at that time in the ball game to where, again, quickly, you're up 10-0, you fumble the ball inside the 20, then, then they score a ton, the Mac Jones to Hunter Henry, nothing on offense, then they get the ball back in 64 yards, right through your defense, to go up 14-10 in that second quarter. So when I look back at the film again yesterday, a lot of stuff with Jamin Davis. I mentioned the third and nine completion early in the football game. I talked about the touchdown to Hunter Henry where Jamin's in coverage. And then this cross dog blitz to where he did not get there. This is year three in Jack Del Rio's defense. Jamin Davis is supposed to be one of, if not the most athletic second level static defenders for Washington alongside Klee Hudson. Didn't see it yesterday. And consistently, the opinion on Jamin Davis is up and down. I don't know what to do. You guys don't know what to do. And really, I don't know what Washington's going to do with Jamin moving forward. More so into 2024. Because he was a first-round pick. Now, on that next drive, Washington gets the ball. The third and 23 run from Sam Howell. Holy hell. What a play. From number 14. He did it with his arm. He's doing it with his legs. That conversion on third and 23 was the longest conversion Washington had since 2013. Longest conversion on third down in a decade, guys. 
Now, Jeremy Brown drops the ball on that drive. And then we get down near the goal line to where you had all three timeouts, first and goal. And this is where I want to get into the specific concept that Eric Bieniemy has continually showed on short yardage situations, like a second and three or a third and three, and inside the goal line, he loves to run these sprint out concepts to where you're moving the launch point of the quarterback to his arm side, usually keeping in an extra blocker on that side to seal in that five tech defensive lineman on that side. Usually you have at least two or you have trips to the right and you'll have the under receiver just a short little over route towards the pylon. Short little out route, excuse me, towards the pylon. But what that does, and in that instance yesterday at the end of the first half to where Sam cannot throw that football. I don't know who he was throwing to. I guess he didn't see Kyle Duggar in the end zone. I guess he didn't see him. Cannot happen there, considering that you had all three timeouts and 22 seconds left on the clock to where you'd have at least three shots at the end zone if you wanted it, whether you wanted to throw it or whether you wanted to run it. And if that didn't work, you'd most likely get three there. But sprinting out to your right, you're not only... Look, guys, when you're in the red zone, the goalposts in front of you, the back line of the end zone is basically another defender that you're having to counter because your space is limited. It's like playing inside of a phone booth inside that area. You see, a lot of teams have a lot of success inside the 20s. But when they get inside the red area because things are shortened and you have to be more decisive, you have to be more unique from a concept perspective, teams... They just sputter inside those areas. But the consistent sprint outs, you guys remember years ago, really at this point, it is a decade ago, over a decade ago, when Washington went into Dallas on Thanksgiving and RG3 had three touchdowns in the first half. One of those touchdowns was on a sprint out to Santana Moss at the front pylon. You guys remember that. All Washington commanders followers Remember that game in Dallas on Thanksgiving. It was beautiful. Washington has tried to run that a bunch this year with Jahan at the front side of the end zone. And why I don't like it a ton, I've seen it work maybe once or twice out of the eight or nine, ten times that teams run it. Is you're limiting not only where you can throw the football. If you just drop back and have guys to your left and to your right, you have full access to the field. Even though your depth north to south is limited, east to west is not. And when you sprint out, you're not only taking away the other side of the field, the whole left side of the field. You're taking away the middle portion of the field as well. So take the hashes and take that away as well. So you're playing with basically 20% of the field. And with five or six defenders over there for the Patriots, there's nowhere to go with the football. Now, you would like Sam Howell to just throw it away on that play. I get that. Not trying to play hero ball and force it into a window that flat out wasn't there. But we've seen this on third and threes and third and goals at time, at times, and it simply has not worked yet. At least I have not seen it. Again, you're limiting your space that you have. It looks pretty. Jahan Dotson will fake the inside, get back outside. Sam Howell sprinting to his right, to his arm side. We know he can make throws on the run. And if you operate it correctly and a team is in man, 
and you have a little rub rod on the outside and it works, then it, then it can work and it can look pretty. But very few times does that work. And a lot of teams run it in the NFL. They run it in college too. But I hate limiting options. Limiting the field that you have to work with. We're the quarterback that can stretch it north, south, and east, west. Give yourself all four pylons to work with. Not just one on the front side of the end zone to where everything is in front of defenders. You're not having a guy sneak in behind him. Not having a guy trying to leak out of the far side. Like the throwback play we saw from Sam Howell to where it was a no, 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 no. Okay, good throw, Sam. Over the middle of the field. I hate limiting options. And when you have skilled players like Washington has, taking 100% of the field and limiting that really to 15%, 20%, inside the red area to where you have to get points, just so something to work on from a conceptual point of view for Eric Bieniemy moving forward. Now, Eric Bieniemy in his bag, play calling wise, absolutely in his bag. He's been fantastic. But that's just one little thing I've seen a lot from Washington and some other teams as well in the NFL to where stop limiting options when you're at the goal line. It may work one time. That's all you need. I get that. But full access to the field is what we all want. Teams live in shotgun nowadays and the ability for quarterbacks to stand four yards behind the line of scrimmage, read to the left, read the middle, and read to their arm side. Unless you're two attack of Iloa and your arm side is the left side of the defense. But overall, that ball cannot be thrown by Sam Howell. Whatever play is called. Can't throw that football, especially at that time. So those are the little things. Again, the speed bumps. I talked about in the pregame podcast. He was going to have a moment in this game that he was going to have to overcome. However, after that interception, Washington set two first second half drives, guys, off of that pick. Seven plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown to Jahan Dotson. Beautiful 33-yard hookup. And then an eight-play, 65-yard drive that ended in a Joey Sly field goal. That was the last points of the game in the third quarter for Washington to go up 20-17. So it's not more so, it's not the, the mistake at the end of the first half was terrible. But it's what you do after that. Right? And what did he do? You come out in the second half, beautiful touchdown throw to Jahan. And then you get more points on that 30-yard hook, that field goal from Joey Sly. That's what I saw from Sam Howell yesterday. The crap happened at the goal line. What do you do after that? It's like when a pitcher is pitching. You give up a homer. What do you do in your next two or three pitches right after that? Are you throwing more balls and allowing that, that home run to get to you? Or are you continuing to pound the strike zone? Sam Howell continued to pound the strike zone yesterday. At every depth. To a lot of different guys. Seven guys had two or more receptions. At least nine guys had at least one catch. Nine skill players. He's spreading the ball around to everybody. If you're open, if you can create any separation, Sam Howell will find you. If he just gets at least two and a half seconds of time, and sometimes it's shorter. Philadelphia Eagles, he had two touchdowns in under two and a half seconds. 2.3 and 1.8. He's getting the ball out of his hands. 
What he's seeing pre-snap is continuing to evolve week to week, no matter the defensive front or defensive talent that he's facing. I love to see it. Because last time we've seen this type of success under center, the first month of the season with Alex Smith before the nasty injury against the Texans was great. Kirk Cousins in spurts was excellent. And then RG3 in spurts was excellent. You could say Taylor Heineke was excellent in spurts, but really, Sam Howell, 325 yards and a touchdown. (laughs) And then last week against Philadelphia Eagles, an Eagles defense that, look, is one of the most talented in football, 39 for 52, 397 yards and four touchdowns. So the last two weeks, Sam Howell's thrown for five touchdowns and two picks. And really, the pick against the Eagles over the middle of the field to Reed Blankenship Miss Terry High. That's fixable. The throw to Kyle Duggar in the end zone in the first half. That's fixable. These are not terrible throws to where he's just completely, well, you could say the Kyle Duggar interception was terrible. He should have never thrown that football. But it's not a, what we saw with Bryce Young and the Panthers yesterday, his two pick sixes to Kenny Moore and the Colts. Ugly pick sixes right to a defender standing in front of his face. That's ugly. Sam Howell's interceptions are completely fixable. And it should excite all of you moving into these next few weeks to where, again, it's crunch time for this Washington Commanders roster if they want to stay in the hunt and the wild card race. Because also, when you look around the league, week nine, with the Seahawks losing, they're now five and three. Washington is four and five. The Vikings beat the Falcons yesterday. Falcons now four and five. Vikings five and four. Hell of an effort from Josh Dobbs leading Minnesota yesterday to where he didn't even know the offensive players' names going into yesterday's game. And the NFC South, the Buccaneers. CJ Stroud lit them up. 39-37 win for Houston. The Buccaneers are three and five. The Rams are three and six. The Packers beat them 20 to three. Packers are three and five. Saints beat the Bears. They're five and four. Panthers lost again. Dallas is five and three, guys. Washington, four and five. Now, the divisional wins hurt right now from a tiebreaker perspective. But at the midway point of the year, everything is up in the air for this Washington Commanders roster. And would you have loved to have the Giants game back? Would you have loved to have the Chicago game back? Absolutely. Because if you do win those two games, then instead of being four and five, Washington is six and three right now. But that is playing hypotheticals and shoulda, woulda, couldas. And they didn't execute in those ball games. And at times yesterday, they didn't execute. But they executed enough. And they executed more than their opponent to win that football game. So as Washington now gets prepared to travel out to Seattle in week 10, and then in week 11, they come back home to host the New York Giants, who, by the way, may have lost quarterback Daniel Jones of the torn ACL. Tommy DeVito was out there running the show yesterday for them in Las Vegas, a game that they lost 30-6 to to where all six of their points came in the fourth quarter when the Raiders were running prevent a Raiders team that fired their general manager and fired their head coach, Josh McDaniels, this week. 
lots of changes going on out there. And they went in there and lost by 24. Giants are two and seven. So everything is still there for Washington. Offensively, from what we've seen, Washington's going to stay in ballgames, no matter what defense that they face. 20 points at the end of the day is not a lot of points. But they're left points on the board yesterday. That first half, you would like to get at least three. The end of that game, when they're running the ball a ton, Sam had 28 passing attempts in the first half. He threw it 17 times in the second half. You're trying to churn the game. Turn that clock. But everything is there, guys. And this is where we are again with Ron Rivera. Hunting for a wild card spot. That's what we've done for the last three years. Hopefully we don't go to a point like we were last year to where we see a blunder against the Cleveland Browns team that was playing for nothing at the end of last year and Washington gets their asses whooped at home and really ends their playoff hopes. But at four and five... They're in a spot. Not a great spot, but they're in a spot to where if they continue to win and they can go out to Seattle and get their second straight win and second straight road win before coming home against a Giants team that they already lost to. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But they're in a fine spot with positives specifically headlining on the defensive, or excuse me, the offensive side of the ball with Sam Howell and the skill players present. It's always good to see Brian Robinson get over to 60 yards and in the end zone and near 20 carries and the offensive line doing well. And we're seeing the improvement, at least from this week, from Emmanuel Forbes on the outside. Those are positives. Now it's about continuing to evolve on either side of the ball, continue to execute on special teams, and put yourself in a position to win no matter the opponent that's in front of you. So that's going to do it for today's pod. I hope you guys enjoyed. We're on all podcast platforms. You can find my work at Bleacher Report and thedraftnetwork.com. And I'm on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler if you do not follow me there already. As I mentioned at the top, I will have a preview out for you guys of the 5-3 and three Geno Smith-led Seattle Seahawks, an offense that is littered with playmakers. And we'll get into specifically their defensive secondary to where Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, hopefully we see Curtis Samuel back Long list of Washington playmakers against this talented, deep Seahawks secondary headlined by top 10 pick Devin Witherspoon, who's been fantastic for them in his rookie season after missing week one. So that is going to do it again for today's episode. Talk to you guys on Friday. Enjoy your week. Again, a victory Monday. Enjoy today. And then Sunday, out in Seattle, we're going to talk about it on Friday and preview this talented Seahawks roster to where Washington's going to be tested, but they have absolutely the talent to go into the Pacific Northwest next Sunday and get a win and move to 500 with everything on the table from a wild card perspective, because right now it looks like the Philadelphia Eagles are going to run away with the division in 2023. So again, I'll talk to you guys on Friday to preview the Seattle Seahawks. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Have a great work week. Talk to you then. Always appreciate your time. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.